because it was my life I was going to lose. It was me who was paying the consequences. Like all my friends have died. They're all gone. There ain't none of them left. They all overdosed and died. I was homeless. I didn't have any money. Doors were all closed. Locks were all changed. I'm not there to hold their hand. I'm there to hold out my hand. If I want to be successful, I need to be around successful people. It will get better as long as I continue to put in the work and do whatever I can to help the next person. It gets better, Doc. It gets better. It gets Doc. better right there, baby. All right, welcome to It Gets Better. Hey. <laughs> and you got the Robs here. You know what they're all about. Yeah, you do. You know what they're all about. And we have a special guest. Maureen Cavanaugh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. I'm telling you, I'm looking forward to this particular conversation because you're better looking than the other two. <laughs> it's just like right So off. guys, right I am off. so excited to have Maureen on here. Maureen is one of the biggest advocates for parents in New England. She's a New York Times best-selling author, and she has a magnificent website, Magnolia's New Beginning, where she's able to do some really cool things for people who are just like me, just like Rob, you know, just like her daughter. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm wicked excited. And, and more than that, she's like a mother figure to me and has been there through some horrible tragedies that I've had to go through. Um, as we all know, my mom was murdered by her boyfriend in 2018. And it's because of these relationships that I have built here in New England with other advocates, whether it be advocates for substance use disorder or advocates for domestic violence, or even just advocate advocates for the parents, for people like my mom. Maureen stepped in and checked on me almost every day through that traumatic experience and helped me get to the other side of my storm where I could breathe a little bit easier. And I am so grateful and I'm so thankful for you, Maureen, with all of my heart. Even with my current day issues that I'm texting you about daily, <laughs> you're still there for me. And you, you've become um, a huge ally to me and to you know, Sunrise Detox as a whole in our counseling center. And we're just so grateful to have you on our team. You're one of um, you know, my senior management's favorite people out here in New England. And I'm just wicked, wicked excited to have you. I'm trying to watch my language. Right. <laughs> it's just fucking awesome. <laughs> um, this is there awesome. This is awesome. There it goes. <laughs> So when we talk about it gets right better, there. it only gets better for me because I have people like Maureen in my life. And that's the absolute truth. And with that, I mean, Maureen, tell us, tell us more. Tell us what you got going on. Tell us, let's, let's start off with the book. Where, where does that come from? What is the book? I know I have a copy. So it's, um, I hope you've read it too. Right? I, I have. Okay. I have. <laughs> um, I mean, you, better, you better check up on him. On I that. know. I have to, I have to make <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the great blessing in my life is through all of this, um, I mean, there's lots of blessings, but one of them is that I get extra kids. So I have lots of extra kids that I didn't have to give birth to. I didn't have to put through college and I didn't have to put in treatment either. So, <laughs> I mean, it really worked out nicely for me. I have a great big family. Um, and uh, I appreciate you too. Um, the book came out of a lot of pain and um, the nonprofit came out of a lot of pain. I always tell people that all the stuff that I, I did while my daughter was, um, was sick and suffering was um, done out of a trauma response. I could not stop doing things, you know? So in, in, I couldn't do anything for her because we know as parents that there's only so much we could do. It took me a long time to learn where she ended and I began. But even while I was doing a whole bunch of unproductive things, 
um, a whole bunch of things that kind of made me look sicker than she was actually. Um, while all that was going on, I was building this nonprofit. I was building a community for parents and I was educating myself like nobody's business. I was a special education teacher and my answer to everything is education. So because I couldn't find any help myself, I couldn't, I looked and um, not shy. So I asked for it. You know, I tried to get it from all the treatment centers she was in and she was in, walked in over 40 times to some form of treatment. I couldn't find anybody to help me. And uh, so I created it. And um, because because I couldn't do anything else and it turned into something beautiful, was started out as 50 people in Massachusetts. Now it's 20, 25, probably closer to 30,000 people in closed and open Facebook pages. And um, we have Zoom meetings. We, um, we do a lot of things for the recovery community too, uh, as a nonprofit, we help get people into sober living after treatment, mostly through the Department of Corrections and drug court, but we're a national organization now. And um, I was in the New York Times and C on CNN and a, a bunch of different things, a uh, bunch of different things like that. And a literary agent contacted me to write the book. So that's the long answer to that question. It wasn't a long answer. It was right to the point. Let me ask you this real quick question. This is sort of on a selfish side. So you're going through this challenge. And, and you realize that there just wasn't enough information out there to help you, mm -hmm. right? It just was a, it was a gap that needed to be filled. Is that correct? That's absolutely. I mean, that's kind of what I, I'm always, I've always been like that as a person in general, I see the gaps and I, and I, I'm not a complainer, so I do something about it. And that's okay. kind of what I felt like I needed to do with that. It, there was not, not that there wasn't enough help. There wasn't any help. All there wow. was is parents, parent um, groups where it would be other parents, but not necessarily the groups, they didn't know any more than I did sometimes. Maybe they had been going through it for a longer amount of time and they had empathy and sympathy and it was good to be with other people that were going through the same thing, but they might not have been educated on the, on the disease and they might not have really known anything more than I knew or, you know, so it was, it was important to me to create something that was based in science and education and um, also connection and self-care. So it needed to be all of those things. Right. Well, go ahead, Rob. I was, yeah, I, so I, I, Laurie, I have a question as well. What is one of the best pieces of advice you can give other yeah. moms or parents who may be in the shadows dealing with substance use or not quite sure how to take their child or what steps to take next? So, I mean, I think in a really, that's a really great question because that was, that was kind of me. It's like, t somebody tell me what to do. Right. And uh, what I kept hearing is you have to cut her off. You have to oh. let her hit rock bottom. Um, all this other ridiculous stuff, which none of that is, is good advice. Um, I wasn't cutting my child off. I wasn't doing that. I mean, I needed to learn how to set boundaries. I needed to learn how to take care of myself, but I wasn't cutting my, the child that I gave birth to off. Um, and uh, I mean, what you need to do that is bring people is to bring them closer and love them more when they're hurting that much, not push them away. So I didn't understand that. And that made me stop going to meetings. So that's not the effective way to do this. What I would, what I would tell parents is to educate themselves learn everything you possibly can about this disease, just like you would if your child had leukemia. 
right? If, if, if a parent was researching a disease that their child had, and it was any other disease, we would pat them on the back. But in, when a parent does this, we call them codependent. So I would say research, connect to other people that are of the same mind as you are, and that have gone through the similar, a similar, um, that are going through or have gone through this. If you find people that are telling you to cut them off, don't go back to that meeting, find another meeting, there's other meetings out there. And then, all, then finally, to take care of yourself, because you have to be strong enough to be there when hopefully they're ready to go into treatment or to get well or to deal with whatever you have to deal with. So you have to take care of yourself. That's amazing. I think back, Maureen, and right, and I go back to like my disease of addiction took me to some of the worst places in the city of Boston, right? But I have no idea where my disease of addiction took my mother. You know what I mean? I know that she suffered in silence alone without anybody to reach out to who understood what she was going through with her baby boy sticking a needle in her neck. And at this point in time, when I was ripping and running, I had no idea how to plug her in with these resources. So, you know, and it really comes down to it. I couldn't recover from my disease alone. Like I needed other recovering addicts to come and help me show me how to do that. And it kind of clicks that mothers and dads of addicts that are active out there also need other mothers and addicts of active addicts to help them get through what they're going through. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we need, to, we need to, we need to be there and support each other. We also need to be there to uh, get rid of the stigma and the shame associated yeah. with this disease. hundred percent agreed. Because 100%. when people start speaking out, I talk about, I mean, I think my daughter is a rock star. I think that anybody she that is. gets into recovery is a rock star because knowing now the physiology of addiction and the brain chemistry that goes uh, goes behind this, it amazes me that anybody gets well. And yet people get well every day. We Most of the time people get well, but there's a lot of resentments built up when people, when they're pushed away by their family and, uh, or, or left to fend for themselves. And there's a lot of people out there will tell you that's what, you know, that's what saved me. It couldn't, it can be done in a way that you do it with love. You don't, my daughter couldn't live with me. There's a lot of things that couldn't happen while she was in active use, but there was never a second where she was. She didn't feel like she was loved. So can you tell me maybe uh, the difference between being supportive and enabling your child? We call it over-reliance now. I call it enmeshment sometimes, right? Oh, you just threw out a word. What? Enmeshment. We're too enmeshed. Enmesh yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a Maureenism. So I, um, I, I, I mean, because that's really what happens. So we're raising children, we raise them. And of course this is, you know, this can happen with a spouse or any, any other loved one too, but it's my, my experiences with a child. So I'm raising my daughter. She's at the point now where I say, Oh my goodness, I've done such a good job. Be free go out and live your life. And this is like her first year of college and she starts using heroin. So um, I, 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 you know, I don't know what to do with that because it doesn't fit the other three children that I had didn't do those things. So I don't know what to do with this. So I start acting in a crazy way and, and, you know, doing things that are unhealthy and, you know, and that you might call codependent, like, sitting up all night, checking her Facebook to see when the last time she was online was and calling her impulsively and, you know, going through the streets, trying to find her. I might have kidnapped her. I might have gone after somebody with a baseball bat that was about twice my size. 
I might have threatened people. That might have happened. And that's not healthy, right? So that's definitely codependent, over-reliant, definitely enmeshed. I could not separate myself from her. And I realized that what I was doing was um, driving her further away. I was also um, unable to separate myself so that I could I could see clearly to do things in, in like in an informed, intelligent way and to behave like a like a rock, which is what she needed. Instead, she got a lunatic, you know, so I um, think that's the natural reaction of a lot of mothers and parents out there is to overreact and be a lunatic and because they're not, you know, families are well, not educated about how yeah. to deal with their attic at home. And their first reaction is a fight or flight reaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's because they love their child. Right. But you're you're saying that there is a better way. There's definitely a better way. And when I finally started to practice a better way, when I fi- when I figured it out for myself, because there was nobody to advise me, I um, I started to do things differently. And, you know, then I was able to find information. And that's what this is all about. What I do now is just passing on the information that I found. You know, it's I didn't invent any of this. It's all it's all other people's research. It's just there's no nobody when you first get into this, when this first happens in your life, there's nobody that can say, oh, go talk to this person and they'll be able to guide you in a way that, you know, will save your sanity, maybe make this whole process a little bit more, a little bit um, less painful for everybody. All right. Let's talk about, you mentioned stigma. Mm -hmm. Okay. In your mind, what is the number one issue with the broad perception of drug addiction and substance use in our society today? Do you have any recommendations for how we can collectively uh, help change that conversation within the public and people that are listening? Well, I'm all about language. If you notice, I'll never, I don't, I don't say addict. I don't say, um, I, I'm very careful and I choose my words very carefully because there's been research done that when someone walks into an emergency room, this research was done by John Kelly and, and a, a few, bun- a bunch of other people out of them at a Mass General Hospital and the Recovery Research Institute. And when you walk into a, an emergency room, if you identify yourself as they say a substance abuser, but we know nobody says that. So we're talking addict junkie. We're talking all the nasty things that people say. If you identify yourself as as that, when you are treated very differently than someone that that is referred to or refers to themselves as a substance has a, having a substance use disorder, somebody that comes in that says they have a substance use disorder is treated um, like someone who deserves treatment, who uh, will benefit from treatment, who did not cause their own, their own, the reason that they're in there. If you're, if you're referring to yourself as um, these other pejorative stigmatizing labels, you're, you're not going to be, the person is not going to be treated well. And so I always say, I'm far be it for me to call for anybody to to tell anybody what to call themselves, but just know that you're making it difficult for the next person in line. So we have to stop doing that. We also have to stop. We just have to stop being ashamed and we have to stop acting like um, uh, guilty. And we have to get rid of that whole notion that what did I do wrong? We have to get rid of that because everybody does stuff wrong, but not everybody becomes addicted to drugs. So, and not everybody's child becomes addicted to heroin. Um, 
we have to get rid of that guilt and shame ourselves. And we have to understand the disease. When you start understanding the disease and educating yourself, you can start educating other people and, and so that they understand. And then you don't have to feel that way anymore. Maureen, have you seen a, a greater acceptance of the, of, you know, saying, um, you know, the, the, the shame and the stigma going away? Have you seen a sort of an increase I acceptance? So. I believe so. I mean, but, you know, who's going to say something to me? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I was actually, I was actually trying to rent an apartment and um, recently and um the woman had looked me up and had to tell, felt it necessary to tell me there would be no drug use in her apartment. If she <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. So you, you, she got quite the lecture. I can tell you I that. Have. You can only imagine. <laughs> it's like wrong person to tell. And I, I can sit here and I can tell you that as far as stigma goes, Maureen, um, because of people like you, because of moms like you, um, the stigma is not as strong here in Massachusetts. Yeah as it was when I was attempt, not getting clean, but attempting to get clean. It was hard six, seven years ago to walk into a treatment center for my mom to get any resources for right. anybody. My mom was ashamed to say, my son's an addict. You know, My mom was ashamed to call that line and ask for help for her son. And that you trickles know? down. That trickles right. down to, to, the, you know, to the person, that, to you, it, when someone's ashamed of you. And feeling shame, it trickles down. It does. And to have all these resources, all the resources that you're coming to the table with, I know you're a what life coach too as well? I'm a, I, I call myself a, fa a family recovery coach. I'm in the process of getting my late. I have, you know, a, so a many resources in education. I see myself as an educator. I do, uh, I train, I train clinicians on how to work with families. I set up family, um, programs and uh, family meetings for different organizations. So I'm out there trying to get everybody to do this better. And that, and that's where it comes down. So it's because of the hard work being put in by people like you, non-addict moms of addicts, um, just out there on the front lines, doing this on a, on a daily 24 set. I've been with you. I've seen your phone. It, it rings just as much as mine does. <laughs> and it, it really has. And it's, it, from where it was six, seven, eight years ago to where we're at, where we're at now, um, not just in you know the the treatment side of things, but in the community as well. There's been a huge, huge, more accepting um, way of life for people like myself recovering from this disease of addiction. That's a good point, Rob, that you just mentioned that because like you said six, seven, eight years ago, it was a whole different ball game out there. Now, when I'm proud to say I'm in recovery, right? Yeah. You're proud to talk about your recovery in your past. And if we talk to people that are not in this industry, not in the business of helping people or any type of relation where I'm like, oh yeah, I've been uh, in long-term recovery. And like, nah, you, I'm like, yeah, I used to, you know, do drugs, heroin, um, shoot up and smoke crack. And they're like, nah, no way. And when me and you and, and Maureen, we talk about this, the more we talk about it, the more we're open about it and okay. show that, like, listen, we recovered. We're better. Look at us now. We're happy, have families, uh, successful, um, you know, doing the right thing, helping others. It changes the perspective, right, of, hey, people can have low parts of their lives and they can recover and become a valuable person yeah, in society. Point, and and when it gets people better, see, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it absolutely. gets better. 
Absolutely. Hey, I, I just got a question uh, from, let's say you look at that information that's available out there for families, right? Mm-hmm. What percentage do you think uh, sort of leans towards your approach versus the, you know, the old school approach, I guess. But I mean, it would be frustrating for me to try to find it. And I don't know really where to begin and what is. It's just starting. I mean, I think the wow. whole movement of including the family is finally, finally wow. starting. Wow. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's gotten, I've gotten very busy. So I know that treatment centers are interested in including the family. It's not, um, I mean, I, I just, I don't know why we haven't done this before. I, it's my understanding that 20, 30 years ago, they included the family in, in recovery. They, you know, if you went in, you stayed longer, you got more time in, a, in, a, in treatment and they included the family. And I, I guess, you know, it's probably profits. They just keep, you know, cutting, cutting, cutting. And then before you know it, you're in, in and out before you, in and out, you don't even know what happened to you. And the family is, instead of getting well alongside you, they're like, with their, they're white knuckled waiting for you to get out so they can scurry up all over again. Because that's what I was doing to my daughter. I would, didn't, I think I, now I have to just watch her more carefully. I mean, that was not the answer to anything. And it took- You hit a good point. I think back to, you know, six, seven years ago when I was ripping and running and I'd go into treatment. It wasn't really treatment, it was triage. You know, it, it really oh, wasn't, it, it wasn't really treatment. It was triage. Yeah. It took yeah. a while that it, it's at some point, you know, the only way that I'm going to get better is long-term continuum of care yep. where, you know, not just, you know, myself, but the people around me who want to love me through my hard times need to get the same help. You know, Lutman talks about it. We, we, we speak up on, on what we're struggling with. I saw a post the other day that, you know, I recover loudly so people don't have to suffer silently. Right. Mm. And like you're doing the same thing for families and for moms and for dads, because, you know, if you don't speak up and say, hey, my daughter, my son is an addict. You know what I mean? They're not going to say, hey, my son is an addict. They're not going to know where to get the help for their children who are suffering or for the help for themselves. And I mean, what me and Rob do on a daily basis, I come across you know, sometimes parents of addicts that are more sick than the actual addict themselves. That was and it me. Is... That's a, there's a whole there's a whole uh, book of sick in this. I mean, it actually was it was so crazy that they wanted to, they published it. <laughs> and I have some families all the time, and they say you told my story. Right, oh. and that's where it's so grateful, and I am so blessed to have you to have your information in my Rolodex to smack a family call Maureen you know what I mean to be able to have you there because that wasn't there for my mother you know maybe if that was there for my mother she could have helped me get to the help that I needed sooner than later right and um I get it sometimes help doesn't look like help I used to hate it when my mother did find Al-Anon I used to hate it when my mom did find these because my mom's perception of what I was dealing with started to change but I mean, if she had found that sooner and was able to change her per- perception of what I was struggling with, I may have come to have had my coming to Jesus moment faster than, you know, I actually had. So what you're doing is extremely important. Absolutely. Hey, uh, how is uh, how is COVID impacting you, Maureen? You're out there in the front lines. What's what's taking place? And I mean, that's unusual. What's happening out there? So, um, I mean, we are, we were primarily, the support was primarily on Facebook. I, everything I was doing just got shut down pretty much because it's, um, you know, was all on, was all in person. Mostly I transitioned slowly to doing online and I brought all my client, all my family coaching clients online, but that, you know, it was a shock to everybody. 
So everybody was, I think, just waiting for it to be over and then realized that it wasn't going to be over and, and started to transition to online. But we also put together um, a, a Zoom meetings. So I do a Zoom meeting on Thursday nights. And uh, there's another one on Sunday that another a person in my organization um, uh, facilitates. And um, so we, we transitioned a little bit, but we actually had a, one of the moms in the Massachusetts group who um, died by suicide because it was just all too much. And that's when I said, I, I, gotta, I have to do something where we can connect with each other because it seemed like the AA meetings and the NA meetings were starting to go online, but there was nothing for families. So, so we then created the Zoom meetings, but you know, too little too late, unfortunately for, um, for this mom. It's been hard with, with COVID. I mean, in every sense of anything, you know, I'm seeing the domestic violence rise. I'm seeing the number of relapse of long-term recovery rise. Yeah. I'm seeing the families of addicts and loved ones not get the support that they need through COVID. Um, we've done everything we can as an organization at Sunrise and the Counseling Center to incorporate, you know, as much as we possibly can right now, you know, for families and things like that, the best we possibly can with our trained clinical professionals. But again, they're trained clinical professionals. They're not trained clinical parents of addicts. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, you bring a different spin to things and into yeah. these treatment centers that you're going into to help educate, you know, and have that basic family track in their center, right? Because that's what it is. It's a that's family track, right? It I mean, does. When, when I would, I went, she was in over 40 different treatment centers, 40, 40 entries into treatment, not, not all of them different. And in those 40 different entries, I was offered three, four uh, family meetings, and they were all around discharge planning. Wow. And it wasn't because I wasn't asking, right? Wow. So um, I couldn't get anybody to talk to me. I actually went into one treatment center and and might have threatened somebody to talk to me because they wouldn't give me, I, I was on her release always, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a matter of not being uh, on the release. I couldn't get anybody to sit down and talk to me. And then when I did have people talk to me and I went to addiction psychiatrists and everything that didn't want to work with me because I was a parent, they only worked with, would have wanted to work with my daughter. But when I went to, um, when I went to these meetings and tried to get information out of them, they they just didn't even know how to talk to me. And it really wasn't their fault. Their client was my daughter, you know, and they weren't trained on how to how to deal with parents or what parents needed. So inevitably they would tell me that I was codependent and that I needed to I needed to cut her off or I needed to and then I would ask them, You're 23, do you even own a cat? That this is like, you know, this is not somebody I want to take advice from. I wanted somebody who was trained to talk to parents about addiction. At a minimum, are they, are you seeing these treatment centers saying, hey, go to Maureen? They don't have to have the answer. I mean, they're not, you know, yeah, I got this Absolutely. other stuff. Just go to Maureen. And that's a really easy, right. I mean, easy that's solution. What I do. That's what you yeah. right there. And I mean, and, <laughs> <laughs> Most, a lot of what I do is free. So it's not all, you know, it doesn't all cost something. The Facebook groups are all free. Um, you, they can join, they can talk to other parents and it's monitored. So no one's, no one I trust you is telling anybody they have to be cut off. You know what I mean? Because we watch the, for those things. There's nobody, nobody marketing in our groups. Yeah. And like I said, over 25, 30,000 people. Um, if, you know, in, in Massachusetts, fortunately, where I am, uh, it's I can I can direct people towards um, mass health treatment centers 
we're very fortunate in this state. It may not always happen as quickly as it did before because of COVID and the, right. the beds are further apart and there's not as many people. So we have a lot of that, but I mean, we still, it's, it, it's still easier, I think, to get into treatment in Massachusetts than it is most places. Um, but there's people that don't even know how to go about doing that. So I'm able to help them with that. I mean, the, the beautiful thing about not being an employee of a treatment center is I can only affiliate myself with the places that I think are best for that particular client. So I don't get paid from them. So it, if I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not obligated to refer it to anywhere. So if I associate with the treatment center, it's because they're good. Jeez. I, I love that. I love And, and yep. uh, what's fascinating to me is that I, I like the fact that, that you're available, you've done your education, you're, you're, you're constantly, does the information evolve and change? Like you are here one day and you're like, yeah, that's great information. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. I've learned this and it never stops. You know, Scott, it's so funny. So I say that I, I got like, I've got a PhD in addiction, but it's from 35 different places, you know, and yeah. it's from doing my own research. What I did is I decided, like I said earlier, to make myself the person that I needed. So I have a master's wow. in, in public policy and I have a master's in education. Um, I'm just about done with the LADAC, the licensed alcohol and drug counseling classes that, that I need for that. But um, I, I only did that because I teach and I needed, I needed that certification. But I um, have taken every intervention training. I'm an Arise interventionist. I'm a, yeah, I've taken other intervention trainings. I've done a craft. I'm a craft trained therapist. I'm uh, invitation to change, seeking safety. <laughs> I, I trained, I did trauma training with Bessel van der Kolk, who is the premier like trauma therapist in the entire country, right. probably the world. So I've done all of this training and right to the source, like the people that wrote the books that created the training, because I know I have the platform to be able to share that information like Very few good. other people do. So let's, let's sort of transition and uh, how, how can, how can they get involved with you? I know that you got a website out there, magnolia new Right. You can get a hold of you there, right? Oh yeah. That's our Facebook pages that we have listed. You got a here. Facebook, you've yeah, got a website, right. you've got plenty of options, right? They can go to magnolia recovery resources.com and uh, sign up for the Zoom meetings. Um, free, free. Those are free. Like I, um, I can excellent. jump on, excellent. and I live down here in Louisiana. I can jump on there. Is you live in Louisiana? Huh? My family's from Louisiana. Whereabouts? Um, New Orleans. Is uh, it right Mandeville, there? right across, right My, over there. I can probably Bucktown. throw a rock and hit them. Bucktown and Metairie. <laughs> Bucktown, get the <laughs> shut the front door. Bucktown. Bucktown. <laughs> good food. Everybody says good food. It is what so, it is. um, yeah, and and people can always reach out to me. I, I, you know, I do charge for the because I have to eat. I charge for the trainings that I do, and I yeah. charge for speaking. And I, and but I also, and I also charge for the um, for the family coaching. But if somebody needs help and they need to be directed in which way to go, I am full of free resources. So I'm more than happy to point somebody in the right direction. I like that, and and. Uh... Are you guys got a 24-7 type of deal going on, or is it just sort of nine to five? I'll tell you, there's always somebody awake on the Facebook groups. There you go. Always, you know. 24-7. And baby. um I I learned a little self-care a long time ago. So I turned my phone off at a certain time, turn it back on the next day. But um it, you know, I always call people back. 
always and or an email or any other way people want to get in touch with me i'm, I'm very I, I you can't i can't hide it's i'm all over the place <laughs> now i have a i have a number here 978-560-3141 hmm. no it would be um 617-291-3266 <laughs> sorry everybody that's show notes <laughs> it's just completely uh, that out wasn't, of bounds. don't worry about that <laughs> yeah disregard we will just edit it out <laughs> say that yes, please yes, uh, maureen say it say it again please the number Six, 617-291-3266 it's always here in my hand and i got one last thing you guys got a podcast out there called collateral damage podcast that's why you're, you're so spectacular, right? That's the reason. <laughs> now, I show us your book. Rob a lot, and that's why I'm so spectacular. Show us your, show us your book, Maureen. Oh, show us. Um, the name of the book is If You Love Me, and a mother's journey through her daughter's it's addiction and recovery. They had to change it for the paperback. It was originally uh, a mother's journey through her, opioid, her daughter's opioid addiction, but now it's her daughter's addiction and recovery because she's doing amazingly, has almost four years of, of sobriety. Um, she's spoken for me at meetings. She's absolutely amazing. Like Maureen says, she's a rock star, you know? So, and one so, of the things okay. I just wanted to touch on too, with, you know, what we do um, and with, you know, the COVID-19 and this pandemic and with all the Zoom capabilities and all of our new ways of communicating, Maureen services can cross borders, right? I mean, I know that when I'm suffering and I'm all diseased up, I can receive just as much help from somebody in recovery across the country, as I'm sure mom can too. Oh yeah. We're in so, national organization. Yeah. So like this, like you it. know, her, her, her family coaching, these, these things, these services that, you know, do cost money, but she is offering work crossing borders. They work, you know, and she is a resource for us at sunrise and for, you know, Scott, even if you had someone struggling down there yeah. that could get involved with Maureen. Yeah, I and do everything virtually now. I don't know if I'll ever go back to the office. I gave up the office. So I don't know if I'll ever go back. It's yeah. just so easy. And so it, it allows me to, to talk, to, which I always did. I had, was doing that before. Um, we also have two recovery groups, Wicked Sober and um, and uh, Magnolia, we do recover. And there's about 12,000 people between the two of those groups, too. That's great. Wicked sober. Wicked sober. Wicked sober. Uh, it's a, let me ask you this, and I just it's it's just detailed. So your book has changed the name. So it's it's it changed the it was originally the when they came out in hardcover, it was uh through her daughter through her daughter's opioid addiction. But, right, right. But it, the odd thing is when she walked into that last treatment center, she had been out about three days when I finished the book and it Honestly, there was, you know, it didn't look any different than it looked any of the other 40 times she walked out of someplace. So um, a year went by and the paperback came out and we changed that. We changed the. Um, Good. I want to make sure that. And it's it's your daughter's recovery. Right? Yeah, it's through her daughter's addiction and recovery. Addiction that's and cool, recovery. So right? that's, you know, just, uh, please I, take note of that. I, the book's name is If You Love Me, because one night she came home after having done, she had been doing so well and had about three months, which was the longest period of time she ever had. And um, she went out again and, and, and she had used again and she was um, out, Some nobody could find her. And it was three o'clock in the morning and some awesome, awesome friends, uh, sober friends brought her home. And uh, she was sitting on my kitchen floor and she was dirty and she was sick and she was so, so disappointed in herself and just heartbroken. 
And I uh, looked at her and I said, sweetheart, I said, Katie, you're, I love you so much and you're going to die. And she looked up at me and she said, if you love me, you'd let me die. And that's where the, um, that's where the title of the book comes from. Because it wasn't until that moment that I really truly understood what she was going through, if I ever oh. could. I thought I did, but I didn't get it until then, I, how much pain she was in. Oh. That's a strong meaning there for a cover of the book right there. That's real big, as it gets, everybody. Big time, yeah. big time. Well, you can tell Lutman's got a special shirt on. And uh, you're going to have to sort of take us out of this one, Maureen because he's the only one that has that shirt on. What does that shirt say on it, Mur Maureen? I detect a little resentment. Oh, there's a lot. Of, there, there, don't, there's no detection whatsoever. It's just blatant and it's out there. I have to agree with him because between, from one parent to another, it gets better. That's for sure. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Maureen. Thank you, Robs. And thank you very much for joining. It gets better because it does get better. It does. Just keep at it. And uh, we're going to wrap it up on the other side. Thank you very much for joining. It gets better. We will be right back. Help is available 24-7 with our partners at Sunrise Detox. Call our recovery hotline at 855-900-0080. Again, 855-900-0080.